0: Welcome to Sound As Ever, an Australian Music Vault podcast produced by young content producers and radio makers interested in exploring stories and issues in the Australian music scene. This episode focuses on punk rock in Australia. What does it stand for? What does it mean? Particularly in the current Australian music scene. This episode was produced by Aaron Dick and Paul Waxman.
1: It all started off. We were supposed to do one gig and one gig only that was supporting a, a local Melbourne band called the Cosmic Psychos, and they got into, uh, they had to pay off some parking fines and they needed a support band. A group of guys got together and we said, We'll be the support band, and uh, because it was at a Port Melbourne hotel, we said, Well, let's call ourselves the Painters and Dockers, which was the name of the big union down there at the time. While we were playing, and this is a true story, a guy jumped the fence with an axe and started uh, chopping up the mixing desk because he hated our sound so much. And somebody saw that and freaked out and rang the police. So four divvy vans of police arrived. At the Painters and Dockers pub, they had one rule: You could take drugs, you could you know have handguns, you could do whatever you like, but the police weren't allowed on the premises. So when all the police tried to get in, the real Painters and Dockers started fighting them. Out in front of me, there was just this scene of mass chaos, of people fighting, there was beer going everywhere, there was vomit, there was blood, and I stood up there and I went, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life.
2: You're listening to Sound As Ever. I'm Aaron.
0: I'm Paul. And we wanted to know more about the punk aesthetic, particularly in Australia, both in the 1980s and now. We've heard about the Sex Pistols and the Ramones and about the Saints, the Scientists and Radio Birdman and how they helped start a revolution in Australian
1: music.
2: So, we wanted to investigate further. Here's Paulie Stewart on starting The Painters and Dockers in 1982.
1: Well, g'day everybody. This is Paulie Stewart from The Painters and Dockers and uh, I'm one of the original members of the band that have probably had about 30 people now come through the band over the years. Never paid the guys parking fines, too, by the way?
3: Hi, I'm Claire Moore. I'm the drummer from The Moodists and also Dave Groeney and the Coral Snakes. At school, I, I didn't do a lot of learning, but I went to a Catholic school and the, there was a nun there who was quite young as she started these things called rock mass. And so she got rock musicians in, but rather than teach people classical music, she wanted all the girls to learn how to play bass and guitar and drum. So she was really ahead of her time.
2: So what did it really mean to be a punk?
3: I don't know, we were just trying things out We weren't schooled in how to write songs or how to play guitar or anything We just kind of banged
1: it out the, the thing before punk was you had to know how to play music With punk, you don't have to play music, you know We couldn't play music for the first three or four years we were playing We would
0: just make noise Clare Moore tells us her perspective of being a musician in Melbourne during the View ballroom scene.
3: Well, the scene was really close, like I said, at the View ballroom. We pretty much went there every night of the week. There were bands on. It was just great. It was like the
1: playground, you know, for people
3: in their 20s. <laughs> you know, it was awesome.
1: Probably the most punk place you could go to in Australia when it all broke was Queensland because they had Joe Oki-Peterson in power and he was really suppressive, but the local station up there triple z i reckon that's the first time i heard the sex pistols and the clash and um joy division and and a million back it was like the radio of the resistance you're listening to 4zz fm in brisbane bringing you stereo fm rock on a frequency of 105.7 megahertz while some people may not enjoy some of some of the material we put to air we certainly don't deny them the right to switch us off to attempt to impose limitations or restrictions on public broadcasting is to seriously threaten a fundamental liberty, that of free speech. You know, so I got well aware of bands from Queensland, but we toured a lot. So, you know, we'd go to um, Adelaide and play, there was a big punk band there, the Exploding White Mice. And then we'd go over to Perth and play with the Jackals over there and even up in Darwin there'd be punk bands and in Brisbane, you know, the uh, Voodoo Lust and uh, in Sydney. Uh, you know, screaming tribesmen. Yeah, there was a real, real great, great scene.
3: I did find after the 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 C B ballroom scene, I went to England. When I came back, unfortunately, I did notice there wasn't there weren't many women in playing music like instrumentalists in bands. That took a long time to sort of happen again, which was annoying because. It's the sort of thing, if you don't see people doing it, you often drop off and stop doing it. So a lot of the women who were playing when I was younger just stopped, went on and did something else.
2: Historically, punk was a spontaneous combustion of sound, relaying the political discontent of a nation. People wanted change and punk artists were on board. The scene was about the music, but also about discontent and the potential for change.
3: When people look back at punk that happened in the 70s, they often will have a photograph of someone with a Mohican, right, or, you know, wearing tartan or chains or having lots of pieces. Really, in my day, if someone had come into a gig dressed like that, everyone would have fallen over laughing, you know. It really, that was some kind of... Um, newspaper's idea of
1: punk. You know, the real punk I liked, you know, when I went to the Group Ballroom, which was the home of sort of punk in Melbourne, the real guys I liked, weren't the guys in the uniform of the mohawk, the black leather jacket and the, you know, drinking Jack Daniels, you know, no, it was the guy in the wedding dress, you know, I thought, wow, now that
0: is punk. So here on Sanders Ever, we wanted to know, what is punk in Australia's contemporary music scene? What does it sound like?
2: What does it look like?
0: How does it feel?
2: What does it say about who we are? There are many new acts popping up in the Australian music scene that might not sound like punk, but are carving paths of their own and fighting for a cause that'll make you say,
0: Now that's punk.
4: I'm Grace Kandelan. I play guitar and sing in Wet Lips with uh, Jenny McKechnie and Georgia Maggie.
5: Hey, what's up, people?
6: This is Birds from Bad Apples Music, proud bachelor man. Uh, My name is Simona Castricum, and I'm a musician, a DJ a producer, and I'm an architecture academic.
4: Wet Lips started in 2012 in the lounge room of our share house. Uh, I met Jenny at uni, and we bonded and then decided we'd start a punk band one night after seeing a bunch of bands at the Tote, including, um, I think it was Beat Disease. We are all going to see gigs like three or four nights a week together, and we decided that we could... Do what we were watching lots of men do.
5: Music was always such a, um, a huge thing for me. Like, growing up, I grew up in a small town in Catherine, and so, like, um, music was really like a window to the outside world. There wasn't really much happening where I was. Um, and so, like, when I first like got introduced to hip hop, it was like through Tupac and all these different artists. Like, I just gravitated towards it straight away, and, and I could really just identify with like, finally felt like this was a medium or something that I could really express myself and just be really honest and open. And I think it just gradually, normally, you know, as probably for most people, it went from being such a fan to, like, oh, you know, hey, I think I could probably do this myself.
6: I was studying architecture and I would want much rather have been a musician. Part of me didn't really think that I could sort of live... As the musician that I wanted to be because I wasn't out as trans or I was trying to come out as trans I think. The main reason why I wanted to be part like I, I was interested in the rave scene and, in, and into techno was the love of electronic music that had started as a as a as a kid like as a very young kid like I'm talking like about sort of four years old you know being into Everything from the Human League to Sylvester to Pseudo Echo or Simple Minds or Giorgio Morota. So there was this sort of spirit of electronic music, of electronic dance music, of a pop sensibility to that too. And that sound of the late 80s was just something that really stuck with me. But I think too, my trans identity was sort of stuck there as well. So that sound was just a place that I always came back to because I think it was a part of my childhood that I never got to experience, that I never got to to be part of as it happened. I think musically I always go back to that reference point.
2: To some, punk might sound like rowdiness, screaming and anarchy, but in many cases, punk is more than just a sound.
0: Genres like hip-hop and dance can reflect the attitude of punk without sounding like the typical punk sound.
2: Sonically,
4: I suppose you could relate our music to the Australian punk music lineage in its kind of like rawness, its roughness. And really, our music started as something we could kind of grab hold of and use to express what we were feeling, to express our anger. Every time that we step on stage or step into a recording studio... Every time that our friends, who are, who are women and queer people and gender non-conforming people and trans people, every time they step onto the stage or step into a recording studio, it's an act of protest. I played my, uh, the Wet Lips record to my girlfriend's family on the weekend and um, her mum was just like, yeah, no, this isn't really punk, so I was trying to, like, talk about why... Um why it would be considered punk. And, you know, I think as a disclaimer, I don't know if these kind of broad, like, genre-based terms are super relevant anymore, particularly in an age where you can be listening to a song that would be considered punk and then immediately, you know, on the internet, you can listen to a hip-hop song and then an R&B song and then a classical song. Yeah, I mean,
5: it's funny, like, you know... I have to be honest, like, I've never really thought about it too much. But I I think, like, to me, like, the term punk has always kind of meant, like, or means to me, like, kind of going against the grain or, like, rebelling in a sense and just not conforming to, like, society norms. There's just pressures every day to be a certain way, especially as a black person in Australia. Um, You know, that's a daily, 24-7 thing. And I think hip-hop, for me, it's been that platform to rebel and to speak out and, I guess, to be proud and
4: to be uninhibited. So when we started going to see gigs five or six years ago, we were seeing a lot of male-dominated garage bands and punk bands. So for us to then go and see a band like Terrible Truths and see, like, Ronnie and Stacey's, like, beautiful, complex, like, guitar playing, then to see a band like, yeah, Hissy Miyake, um, who are now GLOW, Playing was really important. And I remember going to see UV Race. I'd only ever heard their records. And then I saw that there were two women in the band. And that was so awesome for me. And I remember going up to them afterwards and talking to them and just being really excited by seeing women participate in that genre of brash, like free music uh, was really inspiring. To be honest, like the classic bands like Bikini Kill and Slater Kinney really were really inspiring to me. I'd heard of Bikini Kill and I bought like their CD when I was 15 and I listened to it and I didn't really like the sound of it at first. It was so different to everything I'd heard. But then I listened to it on repeat over and over again and it made so much sense to me and it was really cool to hear an angry woman... And a woman who didn't care how she came across and it was really cool to actually hear someone saying like no I'm not gonna listen to any of this like masculine bullshit I'm not going to give in to all the forces that are telling me to be quiet and polite and feminine I'm just gonna yell
6: although I probably went down the more kind of synth pop way because I was interested in this idea of that pop was actually quite a punk thing because the idea of punk was to kind of go against the grain. I don't know, 30 years had transpired since, since then and that underground pop just kind of seemed like this thing that people didn't really want to have anything to do with and it was something that I wanted to have a lot to do with. So I started sort of writing these lyrics and I wasn't really sure what I was singing about at all until about 10 years later when I came out as transgender and started singing this music and I understood that what I was singing about was this need to change or to transition and to become myself, but there was this sense of isolation and and just feeling completely lost in those lyrics that now when I listen back to them they make complete sense to me. But... When I was standing on stage delivering those in the early 2000s, it didn't make sense to me and it probably didn't make sense to anyone in the audience, you know, who is this person on stage presenting these, this music, presenting themselves as masculine and, and singing about these sort of, these issues. When I was standing on stage as a, as a trans-feminine person, it st- certainly made sense to me and it probably made sense to some people in the audience and I started to kind of connect not only with my music but I started to connect with an audience. I mean, one one of the big things about the punk ethos is the, is the DIY ethos. And at this time, in the late 90s, it was when music software became quite ubiquitous and easy to swap with, with students or download or, you know, illegally and all this kind of stuff, you know. There was a lot of that happening. So you could get a drum machine as a piece of software and you could get a sequencing piece of software and then you could start to make your own music. The language that I was into at that time was writing techno sequences, which just also happened at the time to uh, sort of translate into architectural projects. So I was kind of killing two birds with one stone. I would consider techno and house music as a considerably kind of punk thing. Detroit techno was kind of made out of, it was its own DIY startup industry. The roots of of house, techno and disco are in black, Latino, gay and trans clubs. But I think that those origins are very underground and punk and, and, and DIY.
2: Punk has always been a musician's and a punter's medium to rebel against a repressive regime or an authority figure that isn't too different in genres like hip-hop and dance. With both these genres having their origins in smaller voices, fighting for representation, these genres have a surprisingly punk attitude to them.
4: From the very beginning, it was about challenging the idea of what a punk band is in Melbourne. We didn't really realise at the time... How difficult it would be. We spent about three years learning how to be a band and trying to seek approval from our male peers. And we realised over those years that we would never really get approval from those men. And so since then, Wet Lips has really been more about trying to take up space and form our own community because we're never going to get approval from the male punk scene. So we want to start our own community and continue to build that.
5: Well, I, I think, like, there's been people and there's been artists, like particularly black artists and, you know, Aboriginal people, really pushing in the arts for a long time, you know, longer than five years ago. You know, people like wireMC um, you know, and Local Knowledge and a mentor of mine, DK, and Fred Leone from... Queensland, like, all these people, and there's so many more, have been working for such a long time and have laid a really strong foundation. And even Briggs and Trials, like, you know, in their careers, being black people who have proud black fellows, have really worked really hard to, to to get an audience, to get people to listen, you know what I mean? And then finally getting to a point where it was like, yeah, this is the time. I, I think, like, without all that background and without all that foundation, like, it, it's, we'd still be a long way behind but I think we're definitely moving in the right direction now because of all those people that came before me and it's just like the categorization and the labelling and indigenous or aboriginal hip hop and some some artists like claim that and that's cool and I've got a lot of support from the community and like different community radio stations who have really supported my voice and I'd be nothing without them Um, and they continue to support me But I just think from an industry perspective that's like super limiting. Don't judge my work as, oh this is indigenous hip hop so it's over here in the too hard basket and we're just going to talk about politics or like how he's such a good black fella. Um, (laughs) So judge it like you would judge my peers, you know, my non-indigenous peers, like how good is the music really?
6: I think the gender non-conforming musicians have existed forever. I think that A lot of gender non-conforming musicians have existed in their bedrooms. It's been recently that we've had the confidence, the ability and the community and the connection to be able to come out of the bedroom and do that on stage. Being on stage as a gender non-conforming person, in, in my sense, through the 80s and the 90s, you had to be a very specific entertainer. You had to be a very specific performer. You had to make people laugh. Like, what are people laughing at? You know, I didn't want to get up and make people laugh. I just wanted to get up and make people listen to my music. I didn't want to be perceived in the sense that a cisgender audience was used to seeing gender non-conforming people. Now, whether that was drag or whether that was comedy or what, there's so much more that we can be. We, we, we can be whatever we want to be up there.
0: Change is pretty hard to achieve when you're alone. Punk has always been about a deviant culture questioning an oppressive system, together, musicians, audiences and communities.
2: A punk attitude is palpable in the industry itself, with many movements appearing throughout Australia's music scene, such as the 30 Days of Yes, a project aimed at supporting the LGBT plus community through the marriage equality debate.
0: Or Girls Rock, a movement encouraging young female musicians to play rock music.
4: going from being a spectator of something to participating in something is like a really radical change in your worldview and it can really make someone more able to fight for more vulnerable people or just to kind of take charge of their own lives whether it's a young indigenous kid hearing Briggs's songs and thinking like that's something I can do I can be a hip-hop artist
5: you know there's different movements like I said like coming through the hip-hop now like with, uh, House of Beige and Remy and that, and obviously Bad Apples and AB Original, you know. Punk as well to me is kind of like, there's people and there's pioneers that take the hits for the people that are coming through and, and are willing to do that. It's, it's bigger than them and it's like there's a cause and there's a movement that everyone's kind of striving for. Yeah. And I think people in the hip-hop community in Australia, the listeners, I've seen like just online and at shows, that there's a shift there's a massive shift in the way people are thinking, and the people that aren't shifting, well, they're just idiots, and they're just staying in the same spot, and they're gonna get left behind. I think like it's it's definitely getting there now. People like AB Original, Briggs and Trials, um, who I think have really like just shifted the landscape. And I don't. After that record came out, I feel like it made it so much easier for artists like myself to just be myself and be completely honest. And like, you know, doors kind of opened. Um, because of that, and in songs like Black Lives Matter got a lot of love, I feel like, because people like AB Original were really at the head of that movement. And I think like a song like Black Lives Matter would never have got played on the radio five years ago.
6: It's not only just about musicians, it's also about punters. It's, it's a relationship that's on either side of, of that stage. It's also a relationship back into the industry as well because for us to really come up in this, we we need to be part of all aspects. We need to be part of labels. We need to be part of the media. So visibility is really important. Platforming is really important.
4: Punk is challenging structures in society. For me, like, all art is political. Every time someone picks up an instrument or makes something, it's, it's a political act. We like to talk about music in a really free and expressive way. It's a matter of me being culturally conditioned to listen to music, to think that I am good enough to make music. And even for, for people to hear voices from women and queer people and LGBTI people and Indigenous people, that is super powerful.
5: On the one hand, like as an artist, I feel like we should be given the freedom to to create what we want to create. But you also have, at a certain point, you have like a sense of responsibility. I feel to your listeners and to be vocal. It's a beautiful time in hip hop now because there's so many different stories and. The face of hip-hop in this country, I think, is really changing and it's opening up to different stories and listeners are actually ready to hear a new story because we've kind of heard the same thing for so long.
6: You know, what is it like for me to exist on stage? And what is it like for us to walk off that stage and then walk down the street? And that's something that I would like people to kind of consider, you know.
4: We... Are about challenging that whole idea that punk is about nonchalance and about not giving a fuck. We are more about wanting a vision of like punk and a vision of coolness that is not like mutually exclusive with compassion and caring about other people one of my favorite feelings is just watching people play music and being in a room with all these other people and just letting the sound wash over me and like dancing and like putting my arms around my friends and just think feeling like anything is possible and to me like that is kind of what punk is.
0: Thanks for listening to Sound as Ever, an Australian Music Vault podcast. This episode was produced by Aaron Dick and Paul Waxman. Thanks to Syn Media,
1: supporting partner of the Australian Music Vault.